Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. And welcome back to another WKRP cast. Hopefully you've gotten your box set of Shout Factory DVDs and you're watching along with us. We are well into season one and up to one of my favorites. Donna, what are we talking about today? Episode four, Hoodlum Rock, aired the 9th of October, 1978. Written by Hugh Wilson, story editors Bill Dial, Blake Hunter, and Tom Chihak. Directed by Michael Zinberg. Since coming to WKRP, Andy's been wanting the station to host a rock concert to help promote the format change. WKRP winds up booking a well-dressed and spoken yet gleefully violent rock band, Scum of the Earth. This band was brought to them by a concert promoter and friend of Arthur Carlson. Venus conducts an unforgettable live interview with the band. And we have a very special guest with us as a part of today's show, the incredible Michael DeBar of Detective and so many great movies and TV appearances was kind enough to give us an interview over the phone. We're going to include his comments throughout the episode. What we have in today's show is a TV band named Scum of the Earth. Scum has three members. Then there's a real band called Detective. Detective provides the music for Scum. One guy, Michael DeBar, is in both. He's working as an actor playing dog in Scum of the Earth. This is Sir Charles Weatherby. He answers to dog. And he's also a rocker performing as the frontman for Detective. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, Michael, are you ready? Let's go. So we kick things off, uh, as with most WKRP episodes, in the lobby. Andy comes in with Les right behind him. Les just, I don't know, he's got it rough just first thing in the morning, bumping into the elevator door trying to get on with Andy, it sounds like. He was the thump that Andy heard. You didn't hear that thump just after the doors closed? But he didn't know that was Les. (laughs) And I don't know, you said you've been seeing it, but it really hit me hard in this episode. Man, Andy wears a lot of denim. Yes, he always does. Well, he's a denim kind of guy. I was thinking Leno. You know, Leno famously swathes himself in denim, and today I'm looking at Andy going... That's a lot of denim. <laughs> yeah, he had on a, what, a denim jeans and a and jacket. A jacket. Then denim later in the jacket. show, a denim shirt. So we got a lot right, of denim going Right. On. So Les is all uh, worried about Johnny's bogus news reports. Johnny's been reporting on the Cincinnati Triangle. So far, two recreational vehicles and Woody Hayes has disappeared. And obviously, this is joking around about the Bermuda Triangle, but I also kind of think this might be a little nod to Skinny Bobby 
uh, Atlanta DJ at Quixie, who was known for his moo cow reports. And it's all about the bit. If you've got a bit, a, a morning DJ will just ride it till he gets everything he can out of it. So Skinny Bobby has done these moo cow reports for years, and we found a Skinny Bobby moo cow report. The Isley Brothers, it's your thing. Do what you want to do. 19 past 7 o'clock, 719. Time for our Monday morning moo cow report. There are three moo cow on the streets of Atlanta this morning. Beautiful. 54 degrees, partly cloudy skies. Okey-dokey. Don't know what that means, but that's a Skinny Bobby moo cow report. So it makes just as much sense as the uh, the Ohio Triangle or whatever. The whatever. Cincinnati, Cincinnati Triangle. Triangle that and Johnny's Les is pitching. very concerned about it because yeah. it's not. It's a fake news report. It's very dangerous, you know. You shouldn't be doing that. And the Woody Hayes thing, I knew Woody Hayes as an explosive football coach, kind of a guy with a hot temper. But I did not realize how close he was to this area around there and how much trouble he was in right around that time. He was on suspension that school year for punching right. a cameraman or right. something. Right, punched. Well, and in the he's also been known for punching a player from another team yeah. in the throat. But punching a cameraman, swinging at a cameraman, and then also hitting a player at practice. Johnny was really predicting the demise of Woody Hayes at Ohio State. It was this season. That he got canned, but he had not been fired yet. So Johnny's predicting right. the disappearance of Woody it's Hayes, like and sure enough, yeah, yeah, sure enough, Woody disappears. Woody Hayes is missing. So Les doesn't realize that the uh, Cincinnati Triangle <laughs> is a joke until Jennifer and Andy they explain it to yeah, him. Just, Les is just so serious about everything. Yes, and I think this is. You mentioned it earlier when we were watching the episode. I think this is the first time that Les laughs. Our, yeah, we got to see his laugh. That suppressed, hold the nose. <laughs> yes, the less laugh. It's our first, and and it happens a couple times. In yeah, this episode. and and it's it becomes part of less. This is when Herb enters, and it's time. <laughs> Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is sporting blue and gray checked pants, brown jacket, peach colored shirt, dark blue or gray tie. And his signature white belt and shoes. This is kind of a styling outfit. I mean, the peach colored shirt, maybe I'd go white. But I mean, this was not a bad looking deal on her. No, it's not as severe as usual. And Herb, of course, uh, want to know if Jennifer's heard about Woody Hayes missing. And I think for Herb, it's just something to talk about so he can talk to Jennifer. Yes, as he's kind of flipping through the mail, <laughs> not really looking at it. Oh, and then he asks her <laughs> what she's been doing. Out with other men, Herb. Letting them have their way with me. Jams a handful of mail into his face. <laughs> he can't stand it. He just can't stand <laughs> it that much. she's been out with other men. <laughs> oh, Frank Bonner kills me. <laughs> we move into Mr. Carlson's office, and this is where we meet his friend, Stevie Peavy. Well, he doesn't introduce him that way at first. Andy, meet Steve Peavy. And then right. a little later, he throws in a Stevie Peavy. Stevie Peavy, just to kind of show that they're <laughs> they're old buddies. Stevie Peavy here books all kinds of acts. Yeah. And, and this guy, um, Ned Wordemer, is the Peavster. And um, he looks like a Ned he does. Wordemer. He does. And I looked at him going, wow, how do I know that guy? Of course, he is Ralph the Doorman from the Jeffersons. And depending on where you look it up, uh, in one 
place it says he was in 75 episodes. In his obituary, it says 71 episodes. Somewhere else I saw like 83 episodes. So somebody needs to sit down and count how many episodes Ned Wertimer was in of the Jeffersons. But that is probably where you know him from. He was was Ralph the Doorman. From 1975 to 1985. Yeah, so that's where uh, you you know your Stevie Peavy, but just doing a little fun one-off here, promoting all kinds of entertainment. Mr. Peavy uh, has a little bit of everything going on, and he opens up his briefcase where he's obviously keeping his lunch, and he has a pie. A piece of pie. Was it a piece? It looked like a triangle piece to me, but I don't know. I thought it was a whole but round it, pie. But, but it's just silly that he had a piece of In pie his briefcase, yeah. on, a pe- on a paper plate with saran wrap around right. it. So he hands it to Art, and I'm thinking in my head, when it came out of the briefcase... This is Mrs. Burston's cat part two. And it takes us a while. We get there eventually, but uh, that's that's what happens with a piece of pie. Now, now the reason Mr. Peavy's there is he's a concert promoter. He's an entertainment promoter there in Cincinnati. He'll get an act for you. Well, Whatever kind of act you want, he can get. They don't call me Mr. Entertainment for nothing. And Art knows that Andy's been wanting to have a concert. It's a great thing for a rock and roll station to sponsor a rock concert because you get all kinds of promotion, especially if you're tied to a hot band. It gives your station a lot of cool because you're associated with that band. So Andy's been wanting to do that, and Art's wanting to help out. So he's pulling in his contacts that maybe aren't quite the most hip (laughs) uh, until... I do have one act. They must be a rock and roll band. Their name's Scum of the Earth. Out of his back pocket, Stevie Peavy drops that he is repping scum of the earth in the United States. Right, which gets Andy very excited. You book scum, not as a rule. Because they're an up-and-coming new band from England, and they're doing an American tour. I had to know the origins of the term scum of the earth, and this right here is why you tune in the WKRP cast, I hope. We dig deep. We go <laughs> we go all the way back biblical. Scum of the earth as a phrase was first used in an English translation of the Bible. It is still used regularly in multiple biblical translations, including the New International Version. It's in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13, We have become the scum of the earth. So there it is in the Bible. You did not know how highbrow this episode of WKRP was. Right. This is the religious version, I guess. The The scum is about to arrive. (laughs) This is Dr. Johnny Fever reminding you that tomorrow night's Scum of the Earth concert is a sellout. You laughed every time Mr. Peavy referring to Andy as Andrew. Andy says, well, come on. We need to get this going. And he says, okay, Andrew. We'll have to move fast on this, Andrew. Let's get right on. Oh, good. I like it when it gets exciting. And then, of course, the piece of pie, which we've forgotten about, had been laid in Art's chair, and Art sits on it. And Hugh Wilson is said to have kind of sighed after this and said, so it's come to this. Yes. We're sitting on pies. <laughs> the most Well, the most... they're not sitting on cats. Well, it's yeah. Sitting on a but, pie. But, you know, when you, when you go back in the history... Of comedy, the most base slapstick thing you can do is hit somebody in the face with a pie, so we just hit Art in the butt with a pie, basically. (laughs) My pie has been squished. The next scene opens up on Andy's office. Mr. Carlson enters, and Andy's working feverishly at his desk, getting things all lined up for this concert. And Mr. Carlson is pretty concerned... Uh, and I think some of this goes back to that being kind of an upstanding member of the community and right. long-standing long uh, civic leader. Frankly, I don't know if I want to be known as the man who brought the scum to Cincinnati. Yes, he has some concerns there. <laughs> 
So he's wanting to discuss it further with Andy, but he can't quite get into a conversation with him because people keep coming into the office well, with, yeah. with business about the concert. V- Venus is checking to make sure the threads look good. What's happening, man? Bailey comes in with a load of ticket sales and cash. Hi, Mr. Carlson. <laughs> and Andy says, I'll just throw them there with the rest of them on the couch, where Art sits down. He kind of moves them out of the way. Then Herb's sticking his head in. Oh, hi, big guy. Yeah, he wants more free tickets. He has clients with kids that want to go to the concert. And he said he sold every ad in the program yes so this is hot it's happening this is everything andy wants mr carlson keeps trying to talk about his concerns there are are two reasons that i i don't want to do this thing number one there's money in here kind of has casually opened one of the envelopes envelopes and found there's cash in here and he's like yeah every one of them seven bucks which we kind of chuckled at (laughs) we we like go to concerts and in the last couple of years we've been to elo and uh Billy Joel. Billy Joel and the Eagles, and you can't buy a soda for seven (laughs) bucks, let alone get in the door. Uh, (laughs) And seven bucks is getting you in the door to see scum of the earth. Uh, we also ran it through a little uh, little calculator that does the inflation thing, and that would translate to today about thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. So obviously ticket. the increase in ticket prices has far outpaced inflation. Yes. But I think a lot of that's insurance and a lot of other people putting their hand in the till, wanting their share, Ticketmaster, and all those guys. So. The cost of going to a show has just gotten outrageous. Seven bucks, you could go see Scum of the Earth. And Mr. Carlson feels a little bit better. Just don't you forget whose idea this was in the first place, okay? <laughs> and we go out to the lobby. It's just so many of these episodes in the first season have these iconic moments in them and these these scenes that just are, and it's the hanging of the scum banner in the Welcome, lobby. Welcome, scum. Yes. And there is a fun story around that, and it's another one of those where, depending on who you talk to, but either... The day they hung this and they were shooting it, some of the brass from CBS came by for a tour, and Hugh Wilson got a private little laugh out of this welcome scum for the CBS execs. (laughs) But the other story that I heard, which I think is probably more true, they hung on to the banner and pulled it out when they knew the CBS brass was coming Mm -hmm. to visit. That's the one that I, I tend to believe. Well, Bailey and Jennifer are hanging up that welcome scum sign when Mr. Carlson walks in and sees it and just kind of, oh, my goodness. And Les walks in right after Mr. Carlson, and he's a little concerned. Isn't something like that an invitation for all the worst sort of people to come in here? And Bailey's just so just pumped about it. Yeah, our first concert. I mean, the first concert we've had since we've gone rock. And we sold out, too. Of course, it's not a very big auditorium, but still, I think it's very exciting. And she's just so up and happy and just <laughs> and just all this sunshine, she's just spilling all over Art, and then she just leaves. Carlson turns to Jennifer and, and he says, who, who is she? Bailey Quarters. She work here? Uh-huh. I like her. I know. You say that every time you meet her. And we get, all right, the last one, I don't know if it was really deserving of an alert, but this one. Herb Darling, fashion alert. This is some herb happening here. I'm liking this. Right. He has horizontal grid patterned jacket <laughs> with pockets of the same patterned but, material, but, but you, turned diagonal. You got to rotate them just 45 right. degrees so you really see that pocket. You yes. wouldn't want that pocket to blend in. You want that pocket to really stand <laughs> out. And he has solid brown pants with 
a peach shirt again. He kind of likes the salmon colored, really peach colored shirt. He's hanging in the pink hues for the shirts a lot of times. And yeah. a very busy blue, <laughs> white, and gray paisley okay. tie. All right. I am almost ready to call foul on that tie. I don't think that's a real tie that anybody ever was sold. I think they made that tie. I've seen some pretty ugly ties. And remember, that's this is the tie. 70s, the Ooh. day of paisley. Oh, my. That is I a, always called it the amoebas. That is an ugly tie. But uh, Herb is also, and and again, it's the whole suits dungarees thing. Art's worried about bringing scum to town. Les comes out, looks at the sign. Isn't this the going to attract the worst people? And right. now Herb's been uh, doing a little research into their lyrics. Have you ever heard of scum record? This may amaze you, Herb, but uh, no. He is going to let Mr. Carlson know what some of the lyrics are that they'll be hearing at the punk, to, at the concert. To their big hit, Love, Love is, is Murder. murder. Do you want to hear it? What choices do I have? Yeah. <laughs> love is murder. Murder is love. I'm a rock and roll hoodlum with a black leather glove. <laughs> Knock me down, baby. Step on my face. I'm a, I'm a fool for you, baby. Let's blow up this place. <laughs> kind of catchy, huh? All right. So jo- Johnny and Andy come walking in. They're they're they've been somewhere. Uh, going to lunch or who knows what. But uh, they come into the lobby. Johnny's like giddy. Johnny obviously has some experience with rock bands. And, you know, he was Johnny in Los Sunshine. Angeles. He was Johnny Sunshine in L.A. So, you know, right. he's he's experienced this before. And I think the fact that none of them know what is about to happen to them is just making him giddy. There's a mischief to Johnny that he's just loving what is about to happen. So Andy is trying to make Mr. Carlson feel better. Oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We've got everything. It's all a show. It's all an act. They just do it for the kids. You have nothing to worry about. (laughs) And then he turns to Johnny. Johnny, is that true? What? That I've got nothing to worry about. No, it's not. (laughs) You don't ever want to ask Johnny for any reinforcement on anything. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's just giddy. He's gleeful. (laughs) So Carlson doesn't know what to expect. And he's scared to death. They're ready for just these right. horrible monsters. And in walk these three very nicely dressed young yes. men, coats and ties. They're speaking very politely with their British <clears throat> accents. And they're saying, sir, to Mr. Carlson. Right. Now, now, I knew through the research we've done on this episode that Detective didn't have to audition for this role. So we asked Michael DeBar how the band was chosen. Well, we weren't chosen. You make us sound, you know, like Jesus. So then what was it that caught Hugh Wilson's attention? You know, I've been in, you know, on telly for quite some time before that. But um, it was, uh, I think Hugh Wilson was a fan of my band, uh, Silverhead, in the early 70s. Rock and roll guy, great guy, wonderful writer, brilliant man. And he always kept his eye on me. And when they wrote Hoodlum Rock, they wanted somebody that could act, you know, and I'd done to so with love with Sidney Poitier when I was a teenager and all this stuff that I'd done as an actor. He knew that. So uh, when they wrote this thing, they didn't want to get a band in there because how on earth would you get a band in there when you didn't know that if they could act? Now, of course, uh, Michael DeBar, who we are hearing from and was so gracious to answer some questions for us, is the guy in the middle with the enormous reddish mop of hair. That is dog. dog. Yes. Um, or Sir it, Charles Weatherby. Weatherby, yes. a.k.a. dog. The answers to dog. And I would also like to throw in here, they may be facetious with the Sir Charles Weatherby, but 
quite truthfully and literally, Michael DeBar is the 26th Marquis de Bar. He is truly British royalty. So when they say Sir Charles Weatherby, they are referring to a member of the of British royalty right there. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Huh? Mm. We also have rounding out the band, and they are a trio, is Peter Elbling as Blood. And he seems to kind of be the spokesperson right. for the group. He uh, he kind of introduces them. I'm Blood. This is Nigel. And this is Sir Charles Weatherby. He answers to dog. And then Nigel, who you referred to as the... The uh, cute one. Yeah, she, I think uh, cutie patootie was the word you used well, there. Well, yes. Um, but yeah, and that's Jim Henderson playing Nigel. This is particularly boring. The interesting thing about Jim Henderson, this is one of two appearances he made professionally as an actor, <laughs> and that was it. He's got uh, this one, and then he was also on an episode of Charlie's Angels in 1981 as a punk rocker. Right. So he... He was a hoodlum rocker and then a punk rocker and then gave up acting. Don't know what Jim's doing now, but uh, not acting anymore. And Peter Elbling, he has been on Murphy Brown, L.A. Law. He's got an international uh, best-selling book uh, on cooking. Uh, in interesting guy, and he's been very active uh, even up to, to just the last few years. He's uh, appeared in a couple of things. I would suggest that everyone listening turn to another radio station immediately. And no surprise that a hilarious and talented guy like Peter Elbling would also be a member of the committee, the San Francisco Improv Troupe. You remember Howard Hessman was a part of. So, Peter Elbling. The Committee Connection. This episode's Committee Connection. Hello, we're the scum of the earth. These guys are not your typical punk rockers because, as we find out, they're hoodlum rockers. Punk rock is passe. We play hoodlum rock. It's several cuts below punk rock. We found a mention from Hugh Wilson that this episode started out with Scum of the Earth being a punk band. He said he soon found out it was impossible to really out-punk punk. But in his documentary, Who Do You Want Me To Be?, Michael DeBar said when he got to the set, it was all safety pins and razor blades. And that's when he told Hugh Wilson he should put the band in suits. We had to ask him how he pitched that idea. I didn't pitch anything. I, I just, I was there. Um, I never auditioned for it. Uh, we got at the table read and I said, you know what? Be a lot funnier. You can't make too many jokes about dog collars and safety pins. You know, why don't we dress and speak as if we were very upper class Brits? You know, how about that? And Hugh goes, that's it. And that was that. We adjourn to the studio where Venus is going to be conducting an on-air live interview with Scum. When we cut into the studio, he is playing a detective song, Dynamite. Obviously, this is midday, but Venus is there. Since he's going to be the guy introducing them on stage, I think that's why they brought him in to I be the so. interview guy. So he's pretty excited about getting to interview them live. And he sets them all down and he starts to talk to them. And they really kind of tee him up. They're like, oh, this is wonderful, and we're excited, and we're happy, and oh, they're all so positive. to be here. Until the mic goes on. Welcome to Cincinnati, guys. We hate Cincinnati. They'll tell him one thing, and then as, he, as soon as he turns the mic on, they completely tell him something else. Like, ask, ask about dog's training. Okay, dog, uh, tell us about your formal musical training. I have none. <laughs> Peter Elbling has this way. He just 
rolls some phrases around in his mouth and makes them sound so much dirtier than they are. He says a couple of things in here. He says that his training is in the cello. You can't get thousands of screaming teenage girls to come to a cello recital, now can you? (laughs) And we rather like teenage girls. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> the way he does well, that. But then, then he does it a little later in the interview. So he says, Can I say hello to my mummy? <laughs> yes. And Venus is hilarious. Your mama live in Cincinnati. Well, there's always a chance, isn't there? <laughs> Venus has about had enough of this. He's done. <laughs> so, he can't so, wait for this interview to be over. Yeah. <laughs> so then Peter Elbling leans down into the mic. Hello, mummy. You naughty girl. <laughs> Don't come home if you know what's good for you. He just gives that so much more intensity. It's just, it's it's killer. Oh, but sometimes there are things that jump out at me and like this. <laughs> that is Michael DeBar and Tim Reed with a little back and forth there in the right, studio. Right, and it seemed so off the cuff. It made us wonder... Was that scripted or was that improv? It was an improv. Michael J. Brocking. I love that. <laughs> Venus goes storming into Carlson's office. Andy, what is going on? And Stevie Peavy's shown up finally because when they first arrive in the lobby, we find out they've pitched him out of the limo. Where is Mr. Peavy? Uh, he got out of the car. That's actually the last we saw of him, I think. Was the car moving when he got out? <laughs> Yes, I I believe it was. Totally tossed him out of the car in motion on the way to the station. So Stevie's finally made it there. Jennifer's getting cleaned up. Venus bursts in. Want to know what what the heck is going on? And he's mad. Everybody's mad. Andy says, like, where are they now? Having tea in the control room. And he points from our camera angle. He's pointing to the left. So kind of over to that wall where a couple of episodes ago, Art and Jennifer were talking about putting in a door. The opposite direction of where we think the studio would be. Yeah, it seems like. He says they're having tea in the control room. And points across the office. And I really think if you go out of Art's office door, walk across the lobby, go into that door by the file cabinets, and walk down that hallway, that's where the control room is. So completely behind Venus. But I don't know if he was really pointing to show where the control room was or if he's just like frustrated and he He gestured a couple of times. And he really seemed to think about it when he pointed that way. And I'm thinking, I don't think the control room's over there. I was just kind of looking at it. Yeah, I think he's just frustrated and just raising his arm up. I know that there are people out there that have drawn like floor plans of famous, like Jerry Seinfeld's apartment or Will and Grace's apartment, where we got to see if there's a floor plan of WKRP somewhere. That would be interesting. Figure out what it looks like. Hey, this is Al calling from the future. We had some learning to do before we could figure out what was going on here. It finally dawned on us what Tim Reed is doing. He's pointing to where the studio set would be sitting on the floor of the TV studio. The WKRP studio set was on down to the left of the set for Art's office if you were looking at it from the audience perspective. So, exactly where Venus is pointing. This is early in season one. They weren't worried about where the studio would be in the floor plan of the station. It was sitting right over there, so that's where Venus pointed. Okay, now, go back to the past. So Mr. Peavy has had it. He throws up his hands. He (laughs) he leaves. He says, I don't care if the concert's tonight. I'm out of here. Stevie might be past that point in his career. He needs to go back to his dancing bears in the tutus. And uh, Bert 
who was it that had the fly fly down his throat? There was this one time Jerry Vale swallowed a bug at the Starlight Theater. Yeah, so I, I think maybe he's a little out of his element with rock and roll. Andy decides he's going to take over, and he has assigned Johnny to watch the band. Johnny? Ha! Instead of three nuts, now i got a foursome. <laughs> Which, in Carlson's mind, is not solving any problems. No. Les enters, and... And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now, here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Right elbow. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb Award-winning journalist, Les Nessman. Right, another Les Nessman Bandage Report. Les Nessman Bandage Report coming to you every single episode of the WKRP cast. And what I want to know about this one is, <laughs> how is nobody saying, Les, you need to go to the hospital? That's huge. Yeah, it's, it's like not half just of his a forearm. bandage. It's a, it's a big cotton... <laughs> patch with oh a yeah couple, with three or four tape pieces of on tape it, on it. And, <laughs> and, and it's uh, if anybody's seen that it's like less did you fall off your scooter are you okay but nobody seems to care so that's it's just less well he comes to the office to to report uh, i was in my office working and i smelled some smoke so i looked in the broadcast booth there are three very well-dressed young men in there they seem to be cooking something ever since the cincinnati triangle they've been telling less pretty much all of the stuff that's happening is a joke don't worry about it less if it wasn't for my sense of humor i would swear where I was losing my mind. It's taken a toll on art. Although, really, art isn't having to do much of anything here. I mean, Andy's working on this. Bailey and Herb are in on it. They're they're all taking care of it, but art's feeling the pressure. Boy, it's tough at the top. The next scene, we see Johnny on a hotel room bed reading a magazine, and the band members are just, they're dying to do something. You can and tell they're bored. They're just ready Johnny as chaperone. Yes. We never see his face. It's always behind. He's reading a trade magazine. He's always got his face behind it and is responding to them behind the magazine as they talk to him. And we've all heard stories about uh, bands and hotel rooms. Now, um, we knew the answer, but we had to ask Michael anyway. Have Mm -hmm. you ever been part of a hotel room trash? (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) I, I I threw the band out of the window. So I'd already been on the road for six years. <laughs> so it wasn't, wasn't as if I had to do any research on wrecking a hotel room. So they begin to trash the room, tossing furniture, throwing food. I, I love when he looks at Jim Henderson, uh, Howard, Howard Hessman looks at Jim Henderson and says, what have you got? And he just <laughs> he puts the salad bowl on his head. He's really getting into something. I see what you mean. Right on his head. Pouring coffee on the bed where Johnny is. And there's a knock at the door. The band opens the door and there's a waiter standing there. And he says something like, if you're not done with lunch, I'll come back later or whatever. They grab this guy, carry him all the way across the room and toss him out the window. Well, we looked him up. That was his whole part right there. That, that was his part. He's there to get the room service tray. They're not ready. They throw him out of the hotel room. We looked this guy up. This is Chuck Waters. This guy is a real deal Hollywood stuntman. This was pretty early in his career. But if you look Chuck up, uh, he has 14 acting credits, 
but 124 entries as either a stuntman or a stunt coordinator on television shows and movies. And I mean, this guy was on yeah, Raiders of the Lost right. Ark and Apocalypse Now. Right. That's some serious stunting right and, there. And we get him for like seven seconds in WKRP. <laughs> but boy, he went on to have just an amazing stunt career. That's our waiter. A serious, serious stuntman. But this band, they did a number on this hotel room. Thinking about this, I'm looking at it from a TV production standpoint. When you trash a hotel room or, you know, you do anything messed up like that, in order to do another take, you have to clean everything up. Oh, it'd take forever to reset that. So we asked Michael, was that a single take? Uh, Was it a single take? Uh, Yeah, television is very expensive, so you better get it right. You know, that's why people get really sort of nervous about it, because, you know, you've got to, you have to reset, you've got a crowd, you know, it's in front of a live audience, you know, and I've always responded to live audiences. So we just did what what came naturally, you know, um, in character, you know. So was there a lot of choreography to something like that? Yeah, and Jimmy and, and Peter were totally, you know, really clever and smart and and uh, we all worked it out together and it seemed to choreograph quite well also we asked michael what it was like to have an extended scene like this with uh, such an amazing performer as howard hessman well howard hessman is a legend you know i mean howard hessman to me was a rock and roller you know from san francisco a beat poet a, a crap yep and a, a real avant-garde actor and, and writer and incredible personality. Why? And that is why America fell in love with him. Tim Reed, professional, smart as a whip. You know, it was easy. You know, these guys are pros, you know, in the best way. That is, they can relax and be sort of, um, you know, good at what they do. If you're not through with lunch, I could come back. Now it is time for the concert, and we end up backstage at the concert where we see Venus. He is dressed and ready to address the crowd. He is looking good in his white jumpsuit with sequins. And uh, he's he's there with Andy, and they're waiting on the band. And they're both excited. Oh, man, there's a big crowd out there. We're ready to go. This is great. Yeah, but where's the band? Johnny shows up. All alone with the news. Well, the band is refusing to go on. It's another one of those band tropes. The band having a problem with whatever. You know, something in the dressing room is wrong, or right. there's something wrong with the lighting, or and the Rolling Stones quite famously early in their career would go on three and four hours late, and people would wait for them. And it was just Just nuts. because they could. Yeah, just because they could get away with it. So, you know, it's kind of right. one of those tropes of rock and roll. The band's going to be late going on. Well, what about the contract? We had a contract with them. Yeah, they ate that on the way over. <laughs> so, obviously, they're not too hung up on the contract. And then they enter the room. I suppose you've heard that the three of us have decided that we're not going on this evening. Now we've got a three-on-three situation. The three members of Scum going against Venus, Andy, and uh, Johnny. Three of us have decided that the three of you are going on this evening. Johnny folds up his sunglasses, puts them in his pocket. Rock and roll. The scene ends with them, like, glaring at each other three-on-three. We we know the throwdown's going to happen. We know where it's going. We don't see it. The lights come up on venus on the stage and he's got bandages all over him and he introduces the band what does he say oh for the first time in the colonies colonies. yes yes I, i like that intro and they begin to sing well 
they begin to make noise. <laughs> so, well, now Michael grabs that microphone, oh. and you can tell he knows what he, he knows is what doing. He knows what he's doing. He now, has that rock and roll solo voice. Oh, yeah, and the moves. He just works the stage. You can tell he's very comfortable right. up there. The other two guys that were scum, obviously not that comfortable up there or with <laughs> instruments. They were looking a little like, not sure what to do with the they're, guitars. They're playing the guitars, air, air playing, <laughs> yeah. I think. They have battle wounds, too, as they're up there. Their clothes are all ripped. But it, it kind of goes with their band. I don't think anybody noticed. Yeah, yeah, it'll fit. <laughs> so scum gets rolling out front. The, the band kicks in. The concert's going. The crowd's going crazy. And we cut backstage to where Andy is looking a little worn. He's on the couch with a napkin on his head and uh, art in. Hello. Yeah, hi, Mr. Carlson. How you doing? The question is, how are you doing? See, I told you, it went off just fine, smooth as glass. Well, Carlson's kind of looking at him going, are you okay? You know, he yeah. can tell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It went off just great. They start reminiscing, and it's kind of funny. They both have... Right, about the good old days. Well, and, and Andy's good old days are 10 years ago. Art's good old days are 25 years ago. But they right. both have these common touch points that they hit. Uh, Andy mentions one of our faves. We've seen him live, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Chicago. Mm -hmm. We've also seen them. So and He's like, that, you know, the good old days were... were Bands would show up and just go on and just do what they're supposed to do, like do Crosby, Stills, and Nash in Chicago. Oh, I loved them. And then Art mentions, yeah, what about Benny Goodman? And Benny Goodman, right. Well, I never got a chance to see him, but I sure do like the records. So they have their little moment there together. Yeah, and it's kind of fun to see them bond every now and then. I like that. It's There's a real strong father-son feel between those two, you know, and yet little things like that. It kind of comes through. You well, and I think ever since Carlson stood up for Andy, stood up in front of his mom. Yeah, right in the pilot one. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. He, yeah, he kind of feels like I brought him here. I put him in this situation. I need to support him through this. That meant a lot to Andy. Yeah. So. And uh, and then they both uh, tearing up Kleenex, plugging up their plugging ears, up getting, their ready ears getting ready to go out and watch, the, out. watch <laughs> the show. Hey, you ought to come out and see this. They're spraying the audience with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, but the kids love it. All right, so they go back out for the final concert shot. A lot of this was cut in the syndication episode. This is where they bought that time to get down to 22 minutes. They cut out a lot of the performance that's going on here. And hopefully you're watching this on the Shot Factory disc and you're seeing the detective performance that happened, which is just Awesome. Now, I did ask Michael if they were on the swing set, which uh, the way the stage was set up, it would have been down at the far left end from the audience's perspective. And uh, I asked him if they did anything special or did they just throw up some lights and let you play? Yeah, which is really the, the answer to acting. Set up some lights and go. fade out on the detective performance and we still get uh, Tom Wells at the end with the closing theme so they didn't let detective take it on out and close it but that's the uh, that's the end of Hoodlum Rock one of our all-time favorites and thanks so much to Michael DeBar yes. for oh for taking the time out of his busy schedule and talking with us answering some questions really phenomenal that he uh, that he did that and was able to help us out and make, if you can find the movie you know what, make sure I was going to say make right. sure and check out who do you want me to be it is the Michael DeBar documentary. It is about his life and times as a rocker and as an actor. And what a life. Oh, man. And I'm a sucker for rock docs. This one is 
very well done. It's well-directed. There are just some beautiful clips of some old stuff and you know in his career and some stars that he interacted with. So you got to check it out. It's called right. Who Do You Want Me To Be? You can rent it off of Amazon Prime. You better. Have a beautiful day, man. So uh, what are we looking at for next week? Oh, it's another good one. We'll be ready for episode five, Hold Up, where Dr. Johnny Fever does a remote at Dell's Stereo Shop. And, oh, it turns into a disaster. Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. We appreciate you joining us. Remember, if you want to watch along, you can stream WKRP from the CBS All Access app. There's a subscription required. You can also buy it streaming by the episode or by the season from Amazon. But beware, anything streaming, not going to have the original music cues, and they will be shortened potentially for syndication, which means you might lose out on the detective performance. If you want full 25-minute episodes, we recommend you pick up the Shout Factory DVD box set. Shout Factory has restored most of the original music cues for the DVD release. You're going to find complete series boxed with a release date of 2014. And individual Shout Factory seasons are released starting in 2015. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have any firsthand experience or memorabilia from the production of the original WKRP in Cincinnati, please share. We'd love pictures of items or scans of documents. Things like props, costumes, scripts, call sheets, anything from the set would be amazing. There isn't a lot of original documentation about the production of the show out there. We're trying to create an online repository of items. Thanks again for listening to the WKRP cast. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.